Amen. Thank you all. Wow. God is in his house tonight. And I'm so thankful that I'm here and that I'm with you tonight. And again, we're so glad that there are many of you joining us live stream tonight as well. Exodus chapter 36 tonight. Even though it's a chapter of 38 verses, we're primarily going to concentrate just on the first seven verses. Much of verse 8 through verse 38 is repetition of things we've already talked about in the book of Exodus, and not that that's a bad thing. <laughs> Let's remember that God repeats much to us in his word. He wants to make sure that he cuts a deep groove in our life. The old LP records that have come back into, you know, mode. That needle has to hit that groove. And God wants to make sure that he cuts a deep groove into our, our heart and soul so that we get it. So don't be afraid of repetition. Again, these last 13 chapters of the book of Exodus is all about the tabernacle, God's sacred space, his meeting place with his people that has always been the intent of God ever since he created mankind on earth was to be with them. Whether it was in the garden with Adam and Eve as he walked in the cool of the day all the way to the book of Revelation where John tells us that the residence of God is with men. I will be their God, God says, and they will be my people throughout eternity. God has always wanted a close, intimate relationship and fellowship with those he created. And that's why he condescended to come down and dwell in this tent called a tabernacle. And where he told Moses, I will meet with my people there. And we have talked a lot about the tabernacle. And we're going to continue to do so through these last few chapters. Tonight, again, it's primarily dealing with the offerings for the tabernacle. But even more than that, the heart of the people of God. They needed to get to a better place with God after that whole debacle a few chapters ago where they built the golden calf. God delayed the building of the tabernacle so that the hearts of his people could be aligned with him. Next week, we're going to see specifics about the furniture and the equipment in the tabernacle and how all of it is a reflection of God. And that's something I want to remind all of us of before we even get into chapter 36 tonight. Again, just like our house, the colors we choose, the ornaments that we choose for our home, the pictures we place on our walls, the furniture, all of that is a reflection of us, God's tabernacle his house was a total reflection of him it reminds us that our God is a God of beauty because it was beautiful 
the God of creativity, a God of diversity, a God of unity, a God of detail. All of that is reflected in his house, the tabernacle. But more than anything else, it was to be a place where a holy God could meet with his people. So we pick it up in chapter 36 where we see the names of sort of the two men that are going to head up the building of this project, the, the head contractors, if you will. The one is named Bezalel and the other Eliab. Even their names are significant. Bezalel's name means in the shadow of or in the protection of God, El. It is a reminder to us that, first of all, God chose Bezalel for this assignment. And as we see here again, he was going to equip Bezalel with everything he would need to oversee the project. And that while Bezalel was fulfilling his commission from God, he would be doing so in the shadow or in the protection of God. You and I can take that same truth and apply it to our lives. When we are doing the will of God, what God has called us to do, we are doing it in the shadow and under the protective wing of God. Amen. There's no safer place to be than in God's will, no matter how dangerous the assignment is. Better to be in God's will, no matter how dangerous it is, than to be outside of God's will, seemingly how safe it is. Okay. It's always safer in God's will than outside of God's will. And then Eliab's name means my shelter is Father God. Or my tent is the Father God. Which really is what the tabernacle was. It was a tent, a movable tent that would move with the people of God at all times as they wandered, but also that it was a shelter, a refuge, a place where the people of God could come. And the same thing is true today with God's house. Hopefully you feel like this house of God is a sacred space. It is a place where you can come and where you feel sheltered and where you find refuge, not only with God, but with the people of God, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So Bezalel and Eliab and every skilled person in whom the Lord has put skill and ability to know how to do all the work for the service of the sanctuary are to do the work according to all that the Lord has commanded. A lot in verse 1. First of all, let's go back to the word skilled in verse 1. It literally means in the Hebrew wise-hearted. We talked about the fact in previous chapters how the Bible teaches us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and how one needs to have proper reverence and respect for God and how when we think of skill, again, we think of, you know, certain abilities and whatnot, and that certainly comes into play here, but God looks more at the heart of the person first. 
God wants to make sure that whatever skill and ability and talent and gifts and all of that comes from one whose heart is aligned with his and one who has a proper reverence and respect for God. That's what God's looking for, a heart. That's why David is significant in that he was a man after God's own heart. God is always looking at the heart of us. And then we are reminded that everything that God asks of us, every assignment, every commission, every work that he desires for us to do, he will enable us and equip us to do it. The Lord, notice, has put skill in ability, the know-how to do all the work. Again, same God, same thing today. If God has called you to something, if God is asking you and I to do something for him, he will put all the skill and ability into us that we need to carry out the assignment. We never have to worry about the ability or the adequacy, as Paul says. None of us are adequate for these things that God calls us to, but he makes us adequate to be his servants. Makes us adequate. So therefore, we do not need the ability to serve God. We just need to make ourselves available. It is our availability before God that matters, not our ability. If we make ourselves available to God, he will put the ability into us. We just got to be more mindful and, and, and more desirous of making ourselves available to God. Waking up every day and saying, Lord, here I am reporting for duty. What do you have for me today? Something else. You'll notice that the Lord put skill and ability to know how to do, and then don't miss that little three-letter word, all the work for the service of the sanctuary. Remember, I've shared this with you before. All means all, and that's all all means. All the work, the whole, in every detail. Because one of the other things we've learned is that God is a God of detail so that there would never be a time where Bezalel, Eliab, or any of the others who were helping build and design and construct this, this tabernacle would be at a loss, that God would be in it through every detail and make sure that they had all the information, all the skill, all the ability, all the insight, all the wisdom that they would need. All they had to do was look to God and he would be their sufficiency for the ministry of the sanctuary, the sacred space, this space that was set apart by God to meet with his people. What made the tabernacle special? God's presence. Just like God's presence makes this space special. It's not the building, it's God that sanctifies it or sets it apart. That's why when Moses came to that burning bush that day, God said, oh, Moses, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground, because I'm here. I'm here. Then notice something else that recurs throughout 
our study of the book of Exodus. How important obedience was to everything. And how the people of God needed to learn that the authority of God's word was above everything. All other words, all other voices. Because it says here at the end of verse 1, to do the work according to, again, all that the Lord has commanded, even down to the minutest detail. If God said, I want 10 rods, then there better not be 9 or 11. If God said, I want 12 hooks, then there better not be 13 or 11. It better be exactly what God revealed it to be. All of it. You and I need to make sure that we are obedient in all things that God is asking us to do, not just some of the things that God is asking us to do. And that when he says something, his word carries the greatest weight. He is the greatest influence in our life. We listen to his voice above all other voices. So verse 2, Moses summoned Bezalel and Eliab and every skilled person, again, in whom the Lord had put skill. Everyone now notice whose heart stirred him. In the Hebrew, a burning within. You can begin to see here the partnership between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man and the partnership that God always wants to create when doing things with us. He will supply, he will enable, he will equip, but he's looking for a heart that is responsive to him. And that as he moves and he works and he pours the spirit out and as he speaks to us and all that, that our heart is stirred, that our heart can respond, that we are not hard-hearted, stiff-necked, as Jesus even talks about, as the author of Hebrews talks about, when he talks about this generation and why they had to wander for 40 years and did not enter the promised land because of unbelief, because he says their hearts were hard. They hardened their heart. Now, there was a time where their heart wasn't hard, where their heart was stirred and where their heart could be moved. So again, it is a reminder to us that our relationship with God is never stagnant. We're either moving towards God or we're moving away from God. We never get to a place where we sort of just plateau out. And that's why we've always got to maintain constant vigilance in our walk with God. Because our heart can be soft and tender and pliable towards God one day and start to become hard the next day. We've got to watch how we respond to circumstances and to situations and do all of that. As the author of Hebrews says, lest a root of bitterness come in and, 
and get planted inside there and begin to grow. And not only begin to defile us, but defile those around us. We need to maintain a soft, tender heart to the Lord. And notice their heart was burning to volunteer. Not to be, as we talked about in the last couple weeks, not to be arm-twisted, not to be manipulated, not to be put on a guilt trip, that God wants to see people whose hearts are stirred who will then step up in response to the stirring of their heart and to the work of the Holy Spirit and volunteer willingly for his servants to present themselves as an offering to the Lord to do the work, verse 2. So keep your finger there. I want to take you to a couple verses in the New Testament that are familiar, but they're good reminders. First of all, Romans 12.1. I'm sure a verse that is very familiar with many of you. Romans 12.1. A verse that talks to us about presenting ourselves to God. Paul says, Romans 12.1, Therefore I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. To present ourselves to God. Now, as I've said before, the problem with a living sacrifice, like Paul talks about in Romans 12.1, is that you can crawl off the altar we got to make sure that when we present ourselves that it is a continual presentation of ourselves. And then 2 Corinthians, if you'll go there for a moment, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. As Paul here is talking about the giving of the churches of Macedonia and their offering that they have taken up. Notice what he says about them in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 8. And they did this, not just as we had hoped, but they gave themselves, notice, first to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Before they gave out of their resources, before they gave their talents and their time and their treasure, they gave themselves. That's where they started. Lord, here I am. And that means then all that I have, all that I am is yours as well. That's where we need to start, giving ourselves first to the Lord, presenting ourselves a living sacrifice to the Lord. That's what was happening back in Exodus 36. Their hearts were stirred to volunteer to do the work. So if you go back to Exodus 36, They received from Moses all the offerings or contributions that the Israelites had brought to do the work for the service of the sanctuary. God had blessed his people and now was asking his people to make a contribution, an offering towards the building of this tabernacle and towards furnishing it. And let's not forget, these were slave people that had come out of Egypt with plunder that God had given them not only to sustain them in the desert, but also to give them the things that they would need to build things like the tabernacle. Would they be willing 
to give these things over to the Lord in his service. And what we see is a tremendous response from God's people. It is very similar to the response that we see under the leadership of David in the book of Chronicles when when he was getting ready to build the first temple. And then when the second temple was built, in Ezra and Nehemiah, we see a very similar response, a tremendous response from God's people for the building of these sacred spaces. So notice here in chapter 36, the Israelites brought their contributions and offerings for the service of the sanctuary. And then notice this phrase, and they still continued to bring him a free will, not a coerced, not a manipulated, not out of guilt, not an arm twisted offering, a free will offering each morning. It was an abundant offering. It was a plentiful offering. It was a generous offering. It is a reminder that God's grace was working in the hearts of his people at that time because that's exactly the same principle that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 about giving and how we should approach giving as God's people. That God will pour out his grace upon his people so that it is out of the grace of God that we generously, abundantly, plentifully make our contributions and offerings to the Lord. You see? Notice the phrase, though, they still continued. That's important. That speaks about follow-through. You see, many times we can start well, but we don't have the follow-through to continue and to make sure it gets all the way done. What God is pointing out here is that these folks didn't just start well in their contributions and offerings. They continued every morning to bring these offerings and contributions. They followed through with it. We need to be exhorted to be that kind of people, that whatever we take on, we don't just start well, but that we ask God to give us all the the strength and the enablement and the sustaining power and the staying power that we need to follow through all the way to the finish. That's why I love the testimony that Paul is able to give of his own life and ministry in 2 Timothy when he says, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. I went all the way to the end. And the reason why that's important is we just saw Sunday morning in the message out of 1 Timothy 4.1 that the Spirit says expressly in the latter days, many will depart from the faith. Jude, the whole book, is about apostasy and how many who at one time were part of the church will then depart and no longer be a part of the church. 
that many who used to read their Bible read it no more, that many who used to pray regularly pray no more, that many who used to worship God in song and in spirit do so no more. Used to. No, it needs to be current and stay current, and we need to continue to do those things up until the time that God tells us not to or until we go to be with Jesus. So verse 4, all the skilled people who were doing all the work on the sanctuary, this is amazing, right, came from the work they were doing and told Moses, the people are bringing much more, an abundance, than is needed for the completion of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. Now notice the phrase completion. In other words, what Moses is being informed of here is that the offerings and the contributions of God's people is so much that it doesn't just get the project started. There's enough here to complete the whole thing. A lot of times in our lives and even the lives of churches and ministry today, you know, we're happy if we just have enough to get started on the project. These folks brought so much up front that they had enough not just to get started, but to see the project all the way through. Every piece of equipment, every piece of furniture in the tabernacle, it was all supplied before it ever got started. Why were the people of God so generous in their giving? I think it was because they longed for the Lord's presence in their life at this point. And they knew that until that tabernacle was built, they could not engage with God. They, they could not enjoy his presence because that's where he determined he would dwell. And they wanted to get that thing up as quickly as possible because they longed for the presence of God. They had lived without his presence. And he had even threatened to not go with them any further. And Moses interceded and God said, okay, I'll go with you, but not with them. And then Moses interceded again and God said, okay, I'll go with you. Because we learned how important the presence of God is in these last chapters of Exodus. That Moses even says, God, if your presence will not go with us, then don't even take us from here. Because if your presence doesn't go with us, then why are we even going? And the same thing should be true in our lives. The presence of God should be priority number one. If God isn't going with us, then why are we even going? And so we need to make sure that in everything that we do, we're doing it with God. We're doing it in partnership with God. And they longed for that. I think one way that you and I can make this applicable to us, to, to get some kind of feeling for what they were feeling, is if you've ever really been close to the Lord, and you've had that everyday fellowship and, you know, that discipline of sitting at the feet of Jesus every day and communing with him and that just that sweet time with him and then 
being regular at the house of God on Wednesdays and Sundays, and then for whatever reason, you go through a period of a couple weeks or maybe even longer, a couple months, and you really start to feel really dry <laughs> spiritually because you haven't been with the Lord and you haven't been in his house consistently enough and you, you start to long for it because you know what you're missing? I think that's why they were so eager because they knew that if they contributed, they could get this tabernacle built and they would begin to experience the presence of God in their lives. And there's nothing like the presence of God. Nothing. Moses then, verse 6, instructed them to take this message throughout the camp. Now here, this is something you'll never hear again. Can you imagine a church or a pastor getting up some Sunday saying this to the people of God? Let no man or woman do any more work for the offering for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing any more. Can you imagine that happening today? <laughs> Where the people bring so much that somebody has to get up in front and say, you know what, we, we don't need any more of your offerings ever. We got more than enough to sustain us for many, many years. That's what happened here. I know of no other place in the Bible where this ever happened. Where like the people of God were literally held back by God and restrained from giving because they had given more than enough. That's incredible. And I love verse 7. Now the materials, and then don't miss that phrase, were more than enough for them to do, again, all the work, not just some of the work. Every last detail of the tabernacle, from the curtains to the wood to the fabric, to the gold, to the silver, to everything that was included, to the incense and the lampstand, everything, all the offerings and all the contributions were more than enough for all of it. And I want us to just really look down on that phrase more than enough for this reason. I want to leave us with this. The God who is more than enough, because let's start there. The God who is more than enough enables his people to be more than enough and to do more than enough. That's how God's people can do more than enough. Not through us, but through him. When we surrender, when we just are all in with God and we say, God, you are my creator, my savior, my sustainer, my healer. You're my all in all. You're everything. And everything that I am 
everything that I have, everything that I will be, everything that I will experience throughout eternity, it has all come from your good hand. Because every good and every perfect gift, James says, comes down from the Father of lights. And so if, if everything good has come from God, then God simply wants to get our hearts to the place where we just say, and it all goes back to you, God. It's all yours, not some of it. See, that, that's where even this whole tithing thing and this 10% thing, I reject. I, I think that's a, that's a place where if you want to have something to go by, but let's face it, it's all God's. If God wants 90% of it, then we give him 90%. Because it's all his anyway. That's the heart that he wants to see in his people. That God, I'm willing to give up everything, including myself, for you. Because I'm yours. I've presented myself to you. I'm simply a living sacrifice that's crawled up on the altar. And I died to self. So, Lord, whatever you're asking of me, it's all good because it's for you. It's for you. And, Lord, if you want something that's mine that I know came from you anyway and the only reason I have it is because you gave it to me, then it's right back to you again, God. Because, first of all, I know that whatever God asks of us will not only be for his glory but for our good. And we know that we can never outgive our God. No matter what we think we have sacrificed or given up, we get so much more in return. In fact, if God stopped the waterfall flowing into our lives from heaven today, and did nothing else for us for all of eternity, we've been blessed beyond comprehension. Because we stand here or sit here tonight or viewing from a couch tonight in your home, we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Having all of our sin forgiven. Under the blood of Jesus Christ. For he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. If God did nothing else for us than that, we're good. We're good. And yet we know that's not the case. So verse 8, I'll just end with this. All the skilled among those who were doing the work made the tabernacle, the dwelling place, the residence of God with men. Incredible. But let's not forget something as we leave here tonight. That was Old Testament. God dwelt in that tabernacle. New Testament, we're now the temple of God. 
and the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. Therefore, just as the tabernacle in the Old Testament was to be a reflection of God, we, the temple of God today, are to be a reflection of God. Yes, God still has sacred spaces like the Oasis Church where he calls us together corporately as his people to come and worship him as a body. But let's never forget that we individually, personally, are the temple of God today. And we should carry ourselves in such a way that we bring honor and glory to our Lord as we reflect him to all those around us. Let's close in prayer. Father, we might never be able to truly comprehend or wrap our minds around the fact that the God who is transcendent above all that you've created, a God bigger than the universe that you created, a God who's greater than our minds could ever imagine, is willing to come down and dwell inside of us. God, that's amazing. That shows your desire to be as close to us as you possibly can be. And yet Paul reminds us that we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellency and the extraordinary power is not from us. It's from the treasure that dwells within us. God, I pray tonight that we might just be a little bit more in reverence and respect in admiration and esteem, in value and honor for who you are and what you've done for each of us, God. To appreciate what a great salvation and what an awesome Savior we have. And to realize, God, just how much you want to be near and close to us each and every day. Such fragile, frail, finite human beings. Human beings that fail you, God, every day. And yet, Lord, even in your holiness and your perfection and your excellencies, you love us. And you desire us. Oh God, that we would desire you as much as you desire us. That we would want you as much as you want us. That God, we would pursue you 
as much as you pursue us. And God, we pray that you would continue to stir our hearts here at the Oasis Church. God, that we would be like these folks in Exodus 36. That, Lord, our hearts could be stirred. That there would be this burning within us, Lord, spiritually speaking. That, God, we couldn't do enough. We couldn't be enough. We couldn't bring enough for you, God. That, God, the God who is more than enough, we look to you to help us and enable us to be more than enough, to do more than enough for your glory, God, and for your honor. And God, may you do such a work that only you could receive the glory for it. May it be something so wild and so extreme and so extraordinary, like happened in Exodus 36, that they actually had to stop the contributions. That, Lord, it could only be explained by a work of God, not a work of man. God, here at the Oasis, we acknowledge we're not interested in a work that only we can accomplish. We're interested in God in a work where we partner with you that something so big, so extraordinary, so extreme, so beyond what we could do that, God, it could only be you and only be explained by you, God. So God, help us. Help us to be the people that we need to be in the days in which we live. Help us to be strong in our God and to look to you, God, each and every day to make us all that we need to be and all that we desire to be. Thank you, God, for this time. Thank you for this space. Thank you for your presence coming here tonight and dwelling amongst us. Would you take us home, God, safely tonight as we travel? And God, would you build in us, even tonight, beginning tonight, an expectation and an anticipation, God, to come back on Sunday ready to engage and experience you once again. God, to give us that burn that we can't wait, God, to come to your house one more time. These things we ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen.